We're back for another episode of Forrest Gump Minute, your weekly podcast where we talk about the movie Forrest Gump four minutes at a time. I'm your co-host Rob, joined as always by my good friends Joe and Duff. Hey, we got hippies, we got yippies, and everything in between. And we're halfway through, guys. We're oh, halfway through this thank movie. Thank God. Though. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done worse movies than this. It, well, we've also mm. spent a lot more time on movies. Um, this one's four minutes at a time, as everyone knows. Uh, so this segment starts for minutes 69 through 72. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks, guys. Hmm. Um, this segment starts with Forrest out of place at a Black Panther event. And ends with Forrest yelling the name of a state at Jenny's boyfriend. <laughs> um, before we jump into this, one thing I didn't mention last week, and it's been a while since I've read it, but can we talk about some book differences? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, baby. <laughs> Give it to me. So I read this like before we started this project, and so my notes aren't great. But I have here that uh, during this era in the book, like during like Forrest – at this point, he's Forrest has been smoking a lot of marijuana, guys. Oh, Jenny gets him gets him into it, and he kind of goes overboard with it. <laughs> okay, and he gets in trouble because uh, <laughs> two groupies. Because you know, remember he's in a band with Jenny. Mm-hmm. Two groupies and, get him and Lieutenant some, Dan, right? Yeah, uh, two groupies get him in trouble. Um, no, I think it was Bubba was in the band. Oh, okay. Uh, two groupies get him in trouble with Jenny. Um, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> so the other thing that happens is he, my notes just say this is what like just says Washington D.C. It says <laughs> here are my notes. Jenny lice and bald. <laughs> you can't have lice and be bald. Well, she she gets lice, so she oh, has to so shave, shave her head. Yeah, okay. And then uh, Forrest throws his medal, his like uh, military medal. And it hits someone in the head, <laughs> and I think it kills them, and then he gets committed to a mental institute. Oh, that took a turn. <laughs> Give me a break. I was about to say, did, did he hit John Kerry or something? So, <laughs> so it goes from, like, born on the 4th of July to one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Yeah, this is this is the point of the book where it goes. Like, it's kind of like tracking with the movie with, like, a couple minor changes to bananas. I mean, you. I cannot wait, Joe, for you to find out what happens in this book as we move through this movie. Okay. And I'm just going to have to find times to tell you because we essentially stop following the plot of the movie at this point. So they, basically they in diverge. the book, he's just like smoking all the time and he's protesting <laughs> the war. And then he's jailed and institutionalized on, on uh, manslaughter. Yeah, he's he's definitely surlier. In the book than he is in the movie. Um. So I, I'm just trying to keep a couple things straight. Number one, I'm wondering, like, so he gets so high that he throws the metal? No, no, no. Those are two, those are, those are two separate things. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he's, he gets really high and ends up with some groupies that gets him in trouble with Jenny. Okay. And then later on when they're in D.C., Jenny has her head shaved because of her lice. <laughs> Does he get lice from the groupies and give them to Jenny? I don't believe so, no. Okay. Um, but I think the biggest thing, the biggest star of this segment we're talking about, 
has to be Jenny's boyfriend, Wesley. <laughs> God. Uh, Wesley sucks big time. And I hate in movies when the second you see someone, even before they say anything, you just know like, oh, they're just an archetype who's being there. Like, you know what this person is going to be like. Like, there is no ambiguity about Wesley at all. None. The first thing we hear him say is he turns to Forrest and says, who's the baby killer? Which... I think we should all maybe use that as opening lines when we talk to new people. (laughs) You know, I'm not one much for violence. Yeah. But uh, you know what? If if someone says that to you, like you just came back from war, like you just deserve to get stomped. (laughs) Like all you've done is went with your girlfriend to this. First off, why why is Wesley here? Uh, Why is Jenny here? Why is Jenny bringing force? Like, this is like... Well, Jenny's a CIA plant to get the black Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm suspicious of him as well. But because some of the stuff he says on... Yeah, some of the stuff he says on Breath is kind of strange. And I, like, I, I... I knew if I brought you here, you're going to be a pain in the ass or something like that, right? I shouldn't yep. have brought you yeah. here. And yep. it's supposed to just make him seem like, you know, some paranoid lefty. But I don't know. There's something. He's SDS, man. Doesn't he say that? Isn't yeah. he at the Berkeley SDS? Yeah, yes. so that's why yes. he would be there is, you know, um, they're there for an anti-war process. I'm sure all these groups are coordinating together and stuff. Hmm. I think we might have figured some stuff out here. We might have cracked this. Oh, nut. I mean, if you think about that, like gathering of people, uh, there's a lot of spooks around, a lot of FBI agents yep. too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he he's terrible, and this whole scene sucks. Like <laughs> he... the whole the whole point of it is to be like, look at how out of place and uncomfortable Forrest is. And I think he's definitely supposed to be the audience surrogate. Like this is just made yeah. for. Look at these scary, loud black people. Exactly. Like the the guy speaking to him is like such a an offensive char- characterization. Um, like you know, uh, not characterization. Um, caricature. Caricature. Of a black, black Panther member. It's it's really yeah. offensive. Black Panther. This is like cool. this is this is like the Fox News grandpa vision of what the Black Panthers are. Yeah, well, and like, I would be most of my the stories I know about the Black Panthers are them sending up like food kitchens for <laughs> like little kids who are hungry. I mean, and like any organization, like it's incredibly complex, and there are varying factions and things like that. But I, I was just gonna ask, like, is this movie one of the most harmful things to the Black Panther Party? Because this <laughs> is like one of the most famous depictions of them that's seen by almost everyone of a certain age. This, this is the literally the only way the Black Panthers are ever depicted in the news media and always have. So I think boomers and older were already like, this was already burned into their skulls. But I guess for yeah. you know, like people our age, then yeah, this probably was our first introduction to them. I mean, so it was uh, for sure for me. They weren't certainly weren't like taught at all or well in public schools so i mean I, I mean honestly like this is for sure the first time i was like oh black panthers are black men who yell uh, they're basically yeah. terrorists uh, the, the, this makes them seem like terrorists well there's yeah. nothing about it does nothing there's, they don't do anything that's it, it terror makes... like they don't do terrorist things it's just like just i think it's just him yelling 
than the demeanor and of everyone in the background. And also, that's it, true. it makes yeah. them seem like they're in Hitler's bunker. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It makes them seem like they're 20 feet underground. Especially that door he opens up. Yes, like exactly. Like, like there's yeah. this loud creak as they... That said, it'd be cool to have a door like that in your house. I mean, you Those know... Cool doors. It would be cool to have an awesome bunker like that. But. Yeah. Um, so so during this, this Black Panther meeting, obviously we have uh, Wesley and Jenny are doing their Ike and Tur Tina Turner routines. <laughs> uh, when uh, Forrest springs into action and <laughs> literally beats the hell out of Wesley. You know what? Who among us has not just been so mad about Lyndon Johnson? That oh, uh, yeah, we haven't got to that yet. Yeah. I'm just, to that I'm yet. just saying. Forrest looked like um, Duff during a Mario Golf game. <laughs> <laughs> he had had enough. He was pushed to the There's edge. Some big haymakers being thrown. <laughs> I mean, Wesley comes up, his nose and face is all bloody. I mean, Forrest Gump beat the hell out of him. Also. Like the other thing about like the Black Panthers on this, considering like how they look, is they're not upset. Like everyone, like it's not like he casually punched her in the face that people wouldn't have noticed. Like when 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 Wesley winds up and hits her, like it's in the middle of a busy room. I, you'd like There's to think all that all around, like, the Black Panthers be like, "Whoa, what the? That, what, yeah. are you, what are you doing?" <laughs> they would react somehow. Instead, no one reacts when he gets no. like when he punches her, and it's only Forrest that's like, "Oh, well, you can't do that." And then in, they kick him out. In fairness, yeah, he they immediately. In fairness, they are used to white nonsense. Well, also, hold on. There's more to it than that. Like when Forrest is fighting him, some people go up to break it up, and the leader guy like puts his hand up to stop them. You can yeah. see it yeah. in the background. So I th I think they're on they're definitely on Forrest's side. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Um but Wesley just like they oh, like I don't know. Like so, does Wesley leave? No, they all wa they walk out together, don't they? No, Wesley just disappears with the rest of the Black Panthers and it's Jenny and Forrest that get so, out. So here's so I have questions about this. So we've established that Jenny and Wesley are from the West Coast. Wesley goes to Berkeley. Jenny's out there doing her Great hippie Ashbury thing. And stuff, yeah. So they just come to Washington, D.C. for the march. Mm -hmm. How are they the only white people that the Black Panthers allow in? There's other white people in the background. Okay. But, like, it just how... It, it seems like a weird thing. That yeah, I agree. Doesn't feel like Jenny and Wesley should be here. No, it it seems like they are led into that circle of trust very easily. Those are spooks. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, so, that, is, that is the most plausible explanation. So Wesley, so you think Wesley's the one who recruited Jenny to spy for the FBI, or Jenny is assigned to him and his group, and that's why she doesn't leave him, and that's why she's like kind of mad at Forrest <sighs> for breaking it up. Oh, okay. So, okay. okay. That's what I was nervous about talking about um, yeah, <laughs> in the last episode because I didn't want to, like, I don't make it in any way seem like, like she wants him to hit her or something. What I mean is, like, she can't, even though that's it's, like, part of the job for her, she has to keep following him. Yeah, that's why she stays with him because no other reason makes sense. Is um, is Jenny kind of a Manchurian candidate from MK Ultra, and what is her trigger? That's <laughs> the words Forrest Gump. <laughs> uh, running. Um, 
so okay so this segment ends with um this line that duff and i were actually talking beforehand is not what we think it is and it's too bad <laughs> what, what because the line is in the movie Sore had a fight in the middle of your Black Panther party. But the more quotable in the line that you can reuse in your life is simply, Sorry, I ruined your Black Panther party. I ain't there the same thing to me. It's I'm, I mean, it's one's a little the brevity of one works a little better. Like you can like I, I just don't think it's a big difference. I think it's again, like I think this is a stab at humor that is stupid in this movie. Yeah, because it's like it's like, haha, Forrest thinks it's actually a party. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's not a party. <laughs> yes, there's I no, honest, there's no. I bo- honestly, there, never got that joke that way until just now. There's that, no, that was what they meant. That, like, that's that's how it's Forrest is like, oh, it's their Black Panthers having a party. Like, <laughs> gotcha. I honestly never that never clicked for me before just now. That's why I was so confused. I'm like, it essentially is the same joke. It's just worded yeah. a little differently. I just like the idea of like when a party doesn't go well or when you leave, just be like, sorry, I ruined your Black Panther party. <laughs> just a bunch <laughs> of balloons and streamers. <laughs> uh, so then they leave the party, and we have Jenny defending Wesley to force, which I was going to say makes no sense, but Joe, you figured it out. Yep. She's undercover. And then we kind of go into this, like, you know, we sort of see what Jenny's been up to. This is sort of like what we had talked about throughout the movie is why don't we see, like, Jenny doing things that are, that is useful. Not useful, but, you know, not, like, demeaning. And, you know, we kind of have it here. She, like, but not really. We see her hitchhike. We see her take a, a marshmallow. We see her as like yeah busking on the street in Hollywood. She gets asked to go to San Francisco, and that's kind of what we see of her. This is a missed moment to have Charles Manson. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Here's my question: This comes off as such a cliched invention, but did hippies do this? Were there hippies like, we're going to San Francisco, man? far out let's get in that van like did did hippies do that like i guess they did uh, i don't know uh, it's i don't know what I hippies know, well, did shocking used to be significantly more common all around the world and here you know so i i don't i'm assuming it wouldn't have been that weird back then maybe i wish I that know. like the technology like av equipment had been more democratized back then so that there were more accounts of you know like showing how things actually were so we could judge because like all we have now is just like burnt out hippie stereotypes of memories they had. I think what's so weird about it is um, it seems like this seems like such recent history. The idea of like, of like, Oh, I'm just going to, where are you going? I'm just going to get some rides and end up in California and then do whatever. Um, which seems like much closer to like, you know, 1849, something you would do versus verse like 100 plus years later, 120 years later, people are like, yeah, we just got rides and went out west and did whatever. It does seem like it couldn't have actually happened. Is that what you're kind of saying, Duff? Serial killers ruined it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, I think that that culture has just become such an easy, lazy gag for so long that it's hard to know what's truth 
and what is romanticized nostalgia. Like, is this something a hundred people did, a thousand people did, or ten thousand people? Yeah, did? exactly. And I mean, obviously, there was a huge gathering of people in Haight Ashbury and the Summer of Love and all that. So I. But how I, many were just local? <laughs> well, and again, like, how many, like, how many of them were serial killers? Like, was it just a converging? <laughs> <laughs> it was a golden age for killing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually don't know. Like, what is what is the hippie migration number? What was it? <laughs> the hippie <laughs> migration. <laughs> I I Those have hip- no idea. I mean, the the tragedies these hippies didn't keep good records, so we don't know. <laughs> Terrible records. Um, as we mentioned last week on our episode, not a big fan of their records, huh, guys? Huh? Mm. Huh? Yeah. Okay. You like uh, that? Can I call ask, back? May you I like ask that? a question from you this? like that, Paul? <laughs> yeah, Paul. <laughs> you like that? So yes, this this segment. I know we have some musical cues to get to, but this segment sort of uh, ends with like, I, I, and I was trying to figure this out. So she's getting back on a bus to go somewhere, but we don't. This whole sequence is weird. Well, they so in the she's going back to California. I mean, in the '60s, there were massive just people would charter buses because there were massive protests and people would just ride out together god can you imagine berkeley to dc on a bus oh man the smell with hippies yeah (laughs) oh man thing must have run on patchouli um so that we have the scene this scene i've never understood this uh first off wesley continues to suck I, when he like I Wesley, love it, Wesley is a silent movie villain and his, <laughs> his apology as you referenced earlier Duff is complaining about Lyndon B. Johnson like I'm sorry but goddamn Johnson <laughs> so this is another example of this movie showing that like Zemeckis and Eric Roth wrote the screenplay or whatever and just these people like weren't really either by age or by whatever like weren't really a part of this because this is like the most generic non-specific thing you could have like it's just like oh that uh lyndon johnson oh i see you're saying so instead of like a specific thing that was happening it's just just president lyndon johnson thanks obama (laughs) that's why i hit you uh yeah yeah I mean, they're just uh, the, they're just a joke to Zemeckis and the screenwriter. Yeah, the screen, yeah just a joke to them, and then it ends with like, "I think you should go back to Greenbow, Alabama." That's the and real like we're America. supposed to cheer that line, you know? Like that's that's the attitude of the scene is like all these kids just go home. You're supposed to okay. go. You're supposed to, to go back to your grandma's shack after you were molested. Yeah. Okay, so that okay, that's that's the, the real America. That scene never made sense to me when he was like, obviously he's angry and mad because Wesley like hit Jenny. Like I get that he should be mad, um, and I also get why he doesn't want her to be with him. Also makes sense, justifiable. But when he's yelling at her, at like he's talking to her and then looking at him and being like, I think you should go back to Greenboro, Alabama, and he like kind of looks at him like I'm like. What does that mean? But you're saying, Joe, it means he's saying you guys just go back home. Well, it just I, I, I think that's the subtext of it. I think he means it literally like she should go home. Yeah. But I yeah. think that the subtext of it is just like 
I think it's Forrest just he wants comfort and familiarity and he wants Jenny and him to go back home. Okay. But again, like the subtext is like all you dirty hippies get out of the capital and go back home. I mean, is there anything? And and just like grow up. It just has that attitude of just like, oh, you're just kids. Grow up. Is there? Okay. So let me play devil's advocate here. Um, Is there a way to read this? That Wesley's one of those people who really cares about macro issues and how awful Lyndon B. Johnson is and the fact that World War II, World War II, <laughs> we're at Vietnam War, like in Vietnam and this whole thing, but fails to just handle common decency and like relationship from like a micro level. Like, right, like, so like this is my reading of Wesley. Is I, don't know guy why, is, well, I don't know why you're reading the most two-dimensional character. Well, I know, time. I yeah. know. Okay, yes, but like this you is know, like, this guy. This, I, this is like your defense of Cal, and I don't want no. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying like there are there are people like this. This this prototype does exist, right? Like, I mean, even even last week we talked about um, Abby Abby uh, Hoffman, right? Who like would later in his life like abandon his kids and his wife and stuff. So there's this part of me, this like father part of me, that's like you know. Maybe you shouldn't tell the world how to be when you can't even like handle like your own personal relationships with people. Like, don't you have to start there to some extent before you just ignore all of that, neglect all of that, and just tell like from a macro view how the world needs to be improved? I I mean I guess I guess I get what you're saying, but it's just this we've not seen anything from this actor or this performance this character that gives us any anything but again silent movie villain he well is, he's asking a more philosophical question yeah and that's, what he's uh, asking I don't mean is does he, does he have standing to be like at a political protest in the first place well given, i mean given kind, the fact that he doesn't seem to extend, kind of like to, extend to, his idyllic worldview to so so you're saying should he get also. should he get his uh impulsive rage issues straightened out before he well well no i mean i'm not saying that like i'm not going to this far saying like he shouldn't be allowed to protest or anything but like is there any reading of this that's that's like some of these god and i this is more devil's advocate than anything but like you know you have like abby hoffman or, or whoever right you have these these important uh protest figures that preached love and peace and end war and all these things, but yet like failed with just general kindness in their own personal relationships with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so these people that are, you know, fighting for change, but also have personal demons of their own. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I still think you can have an understanding of what justice is without always applying it to every facet of your life. I mean, we're all screwed up people, you know? Obviously sure, but I mean to others. not apply it at the most important facet of your life. Just, uh, just I don't know. I just I think I think you're you're taking a little bit too simplistic of a view of it. Well, I mean, so that that's that's like that is that is the I mean, outside of Wesley being, as you said, a a silent movie villain, that is sort of like in some ways my reading of him that that makes me so mad that this guy would tell me everything that oh. was wrong with. 
anything I thought. Like would would yell at me for using a plastic bag, but then punch his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I get what uh, you're saying. I mean, it's de- definitely. Wes- but I Wes- think that's intentional on the filmmakers and the writer's part. Wesley is, is make, a virtue signaler. Absolutely. So, okay. All right. All right. That is all I have on this segment. I know, Duff, you have music stuff. Joe, do you have anything else about this uh, this area of the movie? No, not really. Duff, get, give us give us the tunes. I have two tunes that I'm not excited about at all. Cause oh, it's cool. Kinda... <laughs> so we have – they're tunes that you've heard a million times. Oh, it's because... a flowers in your hair song. Because – because both of these songs are shorthand for 1960s counterculture. <laughs> yeah. We have uh, Let's Get Together, uh, first recorded by the Kingston Trio. Um, once again, a pre-Birds David Crosby and also Jefferson Airplane. I didn't know that this song was covered so much. But the version we hear here and the most famous version is the Young Bloods, And this is their only hit. And this band, they're kind of a one-hit wonder and disintegrated. But uh, the song peaked at number 62 in 1967. Interestingly, there was renewed interest in this song. It was used in a public, it was used in a radio campaign uh, as a call for brotherhood by the National Conference of Christians and Jews. And after that happened, the song was re-released in 1969 and went to number five on the Billboard charts. I I had this soundtrack, and I guess that makes sense why I know the name of this band, even though I don't know anything about them. They're, Just, this is their hit. This, yeah, that I looked at. I looked at their background today. This is. It was just kind of one of those fluke one-hit wonder things. Okay. Okay. Um, the other song is uh, "San Francisco." Parentheses. Be sure to wear flowers in your hair. If you're going <laughs> to San Francisco, so hip, the song isn't hip, your worm. Hippie anthem, uh, probably one of the bigger songs that era. And again, maybe both these songs are good. I don't know. I've just hold, heard them so many times in my life, and these are both songs that are like used in like. I'm pretty sure there was a Young Bloods instance of their song in a Pepsi commercial or something, and I might be making that up, but. Okay. It just both these songs are just I mean they're like products now. I can't even think of them as songs. Um but uh so San Francisco uh it was written co-written by number 1 Scott McKenzie and then uh former Mama and the Papas member and sometimes incest fan John Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime incest fan allegedly we don't allegedly thank don't, you don't sue us which great musician yep. didn't go through their incest <laughs> phase? You know, usually comes right before after the like the christian phase yeah uh it's usually it's after the blue phase and before the christian phase <laughs> <laughs> uh it was released on scott mckenzie's album the voice of scott mckenzie May thirteenth, nineteen sixty. What an album title! Like what a name. So I yeah, I missed that album title convention. Like from the mind of yeah, of, uh, you know yeah. I or it'll be like, gee whiz, it's more Scott McKenzie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Our next podcast will be called something like that. Yeah, yeah there we go. It's like, whoa, what's that? More from the Midnight Boys. <laughs> Eyes on the Road with the Midnight Boys. <laughs> Gee whiz. Listen to that by the Midnight Boys. I'm sure that there were a couple albums with Gee whiz in the title. Gee whiz. Aw shucks, a yeah. podcast from the Midnight Boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, uh, May 13th, 1967, reached number four on the billboard charts um i guess these songs aren't bad i just don't need to hear them ever again yeah. is there an is there an era that has been more commercialized and music ruined more than like this era the baby boomer era no <laughs> well, it's well just i mean baby they, boomer it's because they have all the money so that's what everybody's putting into their movies and their commercials and yeah. stuff like that but uh, when they're all dead all this stuff will disappear immediately. Well, speaking of, Duff sent me a tweet that made me feel very old about if the Big Chill had come out, if the Big Chill came out now, they'd all be <laughs> listening to like the White Stripes and the Strokes and the Shins, and I was like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you as you if you look at the distance from like, you know, like it was basically like Forrest Gump era stuff to when the Big Chill was made, and then you took the same amount of time from now going backwards it was like yeah the strokes and uh early spoon and stuff like that or the other one about if um that like uh julian casablancas of the strokes is essentially the same age that stevie nicks was when don't stop was the campaign song for bill clinton yeah and they're also both cool so not not Clinton, I mean, but Stephen Nicks and Julia Casablancas. Yeah, I wonder which, which yeah, one of I them mean, do you think did more cocaine? Stevie Nicks. <laughs> so here's my most... So as someone who likes Strokes a lot, one of the most fascinating I, I like things I think about Julian Casablancas is, like, he met his, like... Like, you know, for a little bit, it was not a long period of time, but for a little bit, like, the Strokes were, like, the biggest deal in rock and roll. Um, and I'm sure they had plenty of their party times... But what's wild to me is that, like, I think when he was, like, 18 or 19, he met his now wife. And they've, like, been together continuously and still are. And now he's, like, in his mid-40s. It just blows my mind to see, like, a rock star go through that. Especially because I remember, like, at the time in the very early aughts, like, that was, like, <laughs> the joke was it, it was a cool thing to date one of the strokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the fact that, like, he's literally, like, I think she was, like, she was part of the, she was, like, a manager. Like, I don't know if actually the manager, but she's always been part of the band to some extent. Um, I just find that fascinating. That can't be that many rock stars. Maybe I'm using that term too loosely, but, like, people in rock. It's it's a rarity. (laughs) And and the Strokes are still super popular. I mean, uh, it's pretty wild. Pretty wild to me. Uh, Um, One other thing I was going to say about the, the baby boomer music thing is there was, uh, I'll have to find this, but there was a XKCD cartoon about Christmas music and how about Christmas music is almost, with a few exceptions, almost exclusively dominated by boomer taste. And that if you look at like, you know, you compare it to like the birth rates and the baby boomer phenomenon, they're like so much of Christmas and Christmas music is just dominated of stuff that came out between like say 1946 and the late 60s and it's still huh. i mean when you 
you know that would make some sense though like just from like a nostalgia standpoint right well i mean christmas is the most nostalgic holiday yeah i mean nostalgia plays into that but it's also again like the baby boom was kind of this first generation of teenagers who you know i mean even like 20 years before it's like oh you're 13 time to get a job (laughs) like (laughs) And now, like, you had this generation of people where it's like, oh, you have a bunch of free time and a bunch of affluence. And, you know, teenage culture was born starting in kind of like the 50s. And then that's one of the reasons why that culture, say, from like the 50s to the 70s of this music or movies or whatever is just still so dominant. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, um... Guys, um, listeners, you can uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Gump Minute. You can join our Facebook group at forcegumpminute.com slash chocolates. You can write a review on iTunes. You could join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Midnight Boys. And uh, for as low as $2 a month, you can hear even more of us. I don't know why, but there are people who do that. Um we actually got our. Th- we have an, another person. I didn't tell you guys this. Says paying the ten dollars to get our selfies. It's the mystery person, isn't it? It's a mystery person. Yeah, yeah, we have no idea who this person is. So, selfie person, thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoy them. Um, and uh, yeah, guys, I guess uh, I guess that's all I have to say about that. Happy the days while I'm in. Till once more they ride high out to sea